Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to an episode of Victorious Friday. As I always promise, I have amazing guests, and today is no exception. Uh, not only do I have a guest, but I have a good friend. And uh, yes, Tom Lux, yes, we've been knowing each other for many, many years. Uh, and he has written an amazing <laughs> book that's coming out. We're going to talk about that. But let me start us this way. Uh, when we look at equipping Christians for kingdom purpose in their work, you know, in God's kingdom, it's never enough just to have a spiritual insight or a pure heart. Mm. Uh, it's going to require faithfulness. Yeah. And no it's doubt. always revealed in action. Yep. Well, today, think about How this. How true. How true. 40% of Christians are engaged in any kind of discipleship. 40% of Christians are yeah. not engaged. Yeah. Yeah. But what does it mean? for where we live, work, and play. I mean, what if 40%, 50 50%, 60%, 70%, 100% of Christians are engaged in discipleship? And we'll talk of specifically what that means. Would it make a right. difference? Mm. Oh, oh, Tom Lux, welcome to the show, my friend. Terrence, good to be with you. Love what you guys do at uh, Victoria's Family. Man, we're, I tell you, we, we are humbled that we get an opportunity to speak with parents around the world. And, and, uh, and a lot of those parents, as you know, are business leaders. And so, yeah, uh, just amazing. And they're dealing with pain issues around business. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Tom. I think he'll be embarrassed by this, but if I didn't, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't do the, the audience any justice. Tom, I, he started <laughs> Vision Partner, uh, Planners, LLC. Uh, it was a strategic planning consultancy. Uh, designed to assist leaders in creating plans to to uh, advance their uh, their visions. I mean, this guy uh, he has an amazing story, and uh, and just the people just the people that he still walk with today in the business world mm -hmm. is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, as a result of this unique background that Tom has, he served hundreds of, of churches, nonprofits, and businesses uh, in developing plans designed to ensure that they accomplish their leader's vision. And man, just think about when, if we have a target and we have a vision, we know where we're going on horizon uh, and, and strategically aim to get there, yeah. uh, the impact that that could have. Well, in 2010, Tom began work at convene chair, as a convened chair and currently chairs two thriving groups in the Atlanta, greater Atlanta area. Uh, and man, I, I'm excited to visit those, those groups soon. That's right. We got a plan for you to come address yeah, them and talk I'm to them about the Victorious family. That's exciting. Now I'm excited too because Tom has his first book out, and he's given us the yeah. honor to come on this show and talk about it. And it's called Equipping uh, Christians uh, for Kingdom Purpose in Their Work. It is, and it's a guide, isn't it, Tom? It's a guide for all who make disciples. Uh, and it was published this year and it's available. We're going to talk about how to get the book. We're going to talk sure. about the book a little bit. Uh, but before, uh, we're going to get to know Tom a little bit better and just let you know he won't brag about it, but he is a CrossFit trainer. Uh, I mean, he, he CrossFit <laughs> trains. He does all this stuff. He makes people like me look bad. Uh, <laughs> no, shape. I don't. You look but, great. Uh, his greatest claim to fame has been married for 47 years to Sherry. I don't know how she's put up with him, but she continues to put up with him. Yeah, uh, actually, yeah. it's just a beautiful, close relationship. 
and they're in proximity to their seven children and 14 grandchildren. Make sure, make sure I got the numbers right because I know yeah, that's people are adding things. 14 grandchildren. Uh, Tom, it's amazing to have you uh, and, and ready to dive deep. Before we dive deep, here's where I want to start. Tell me about the early years of your life. Tell me, what was it like growing up? Uh, where did you grow up? What was it like? Uh, what was the spiritual side of your life? Just give me, a, just give us a summary view of how it all started. Right. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give um, thanks to God and praise to the parents that raised me. I was the youngest of five um, by about 11 years. Hmm. So I, I kind of was the old your youngest child plus an only child i had yeah. you know both the advantages of that rearing mm -hmm. um but uh, i i tell my friends uh, i was raised in a surprisingly functional family uh you know you don't hear that story a lot there's always the dysfunction that came about mom was catholic dad was methodist uh raised us reading the bible prayer um uh, you know, I had uh, two older brothers, two older sisters, uh, just dad raised as Catholic all the way through the Catholic schools as a promise when you marry a, a Catholic, you promise to do that. He was very faithful to do so. Uh, and maybe part of it is, you know, by the time I came along as the youngest of five, 11 years after the fourth, um, I think my parents were pretty relaxed. They had plenty of money. Everything was going good. You know, so stress, I was probably the biggest stress they had. Um, but yeah, no, we, people don't understand how, how much of a blessing that is. You know, my wife will tell you the same story about her family, uh, which has given us, gave us a great leg up uh, in terms of, uh, don't want to say, I let my children say this, but I, I think we had a surprisingly functional family as well because of the blessing my parents passed down to us. It, which all the more makes what you do at Victoria's family so much, so important, so important. Oh, man, that's fantastic. And, and what part of the country did you grow up in? Grew up in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah, no, suburbs, suburbs of Baltimore, a little bit north, uh, right on the city county line. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did you get involved in this crossfitting, man? How, how did all that come about? <laughs> uh, well, that came about about 10 years ago. Uh -huh. uh, I have... Um, uh, um, with, with, with my children, I've, I've, I'm an entrepreneur. They grew up watching an entrepreneur and I all told them, I don't, we don't plan to leave a whole lot of money for them, <laughs> but we'll, if they have a business, they want to start, we're all in. So I've, I've had opportunity to start some sort of business with all of my children, except one. Uh, and one of my children wanted to start a CrossFit gym. I, I mean, I was a runner all my life. I was very active uh lifted weights and so forth but then he got me into crossfit about 10 years ago uh, i have a daughter who's also a crossfit trainer um and of course at my age you don't do crossfit like the young bucks you do what we call the scaled version uh, -huh. uh so the weights are a little bit lighter i don't climb up ropes and <laughs> i'm sorry i want my feet firmly on the ground uh so they make accommodations for the uh the the uh the scaled uh participants among us awesome but man. actually well, i just i just came back uh Fortunately, I showered, but I, I just finished at the gym at noon today. So, man, well, you're looking fun. great, man. Whatever you're doing, just keep <laughs> keep doing it. Well, hey, let me ask you a question. I mean, you've been okay. in the marketplace and have an impact yeah. on the marketplace for years. 
Um, when you look at your experiences, is there anyone in particular in the marketplace that might have had a great impact on your life or, or oh, yeah. would you say walk with you and disciple you along the way? Yeah, so I had the, the very good fortune. So quick, quick story of how I got into the business. Uh, I, I was uh, I went through Masters of Divinity, was ordained as a teaching elder in the PCA uh, back in 1980, a few years ago. Um, but never had a real sense of cl a clear sense that God was calling me into a pastoral role. Yeah. Uh, but we thought if we're going to do it, we're making an adventure. So we actually started the church, my wife and I, in the inner city of Baltimore. Okay. Uh, and so we, we moved in. Uh, the church could not afford to pay me a lot. And I had a couple of Christian brothers who were starting a business. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought, wow, that's what's that? Right. Uh, and they said, hey, we need some workers. You seem to have some skills. Why don't you come work for us? We'll pay you. We'll give you the flexibility to do the, the church work. Uh, and after a, a very short time in that role, I tell my pastor friends, after several years as a pastor, God called me to the ministry, and that mm -hmm. ministry is in the workplace. Um, but our senior leader, so we had, uh, when we started the company, it was about nine partners. I had the good fortune after a while to buy in. Mm -hmm. uh, and Errol Wolford, I mentioned him in the book, in mm -hmm. the dedication, acknowledgments, uh, even as a young man, uh, I just was amazed uh, at the way he was just a different leader, and I knew it was because of his yeah. relationship to Jesus. Uh, and just watching that really uh, taught me to bring my faith into the way I led uh, in the workplace. So yeah, yeah. Errol was a you know, and there are a lot of other individuals, mm -hmm. you know, that were very influential. But as far as in the workplace, I, I told him I had lunch with him, gave him a book right after it came out. And I told him he was one of my earliest examples of what it means to be equipped for kingdom purpose yeah. in the workplace. And I tell you, it really makes a difference. You know, I remember my early <clears> years and starting uh, coming out of school and working with Johnson & Johnson. At that time, we had a CEO by the name of Dr. James Burke. And as you know, uh, for some that might remember in 1982, one of the most tragic consumer product events happened in our country, uh, tainted Tylenol capsules. And seven people lost their lives due to that. But the reason we have safety seal packaging today is because of that incident. Uh, but I just remember Dr. James Burke when we were having a strategic session around this. I'm 21 years old. I'm three months out of college. I, right, yeah, so I'm a right. week before I was supposed to go to training, you know, in, in Dallas, Texas. Actually, I remember it well in September of 1982. He says, uh, <clears throat> so we're talking about the recovery plan and what do we go next? And and one person mentioned, you know, Dr. James Burke, this is going to cost us about $150 million dollars you know, how do we do this? And how do we do that? How do we save on this? And Dr. James Burke just stopped him right there. He says, listen, there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. He hmm, says, I don't want to hear right. another question about dollars again. He says, we're going to do whatever it takes to serve our consumers, even right. if it means we never ship another bottle of Tylenol again. Well, you know the story in three months, we not only retool, rebuild, remanufacture, right. reposition, but Tylenol was back on the shelf, exceeding where it was. Yeah, and it's precisely. a case study of now people study. So the impact that Dr. James Burke had on my life uh, is very similar to the story that you're saying. And it made a whole difference in how I conduct business the rest of my life. That's in the market. When you see that, 
when you see that, well, it's like you say, it's never a wrong time to do the right thing. I yeah. think that was uh, that was what I, one of the things I learned from Harold. Yeah. Well, I want to jump in because you have an. I'm, I'm reading the book now. I'm getting through. I'm about halfway good. done. I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes. I've got it highlighted <laughs> and all that good stuff. And I'm going to advise people to get the book in a minute. But I want to let's set it up and okay. let's talk about what inspired you to write the book first of all. Yeah. And yeah. and then just kind of set it up for us a little bit, and then I'll dive into some questions and see can we pick your brain and get some all that wisdom out of there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, I'll tell you a story that that is told in the book. I've been uh, um, from early, you know, what, so I, I came out of with my master's of divinity and then was in the workplace. And so I was a bivocational pastor. So I, I tell people I'm bilingual. I speak pastor and I speak business guy. And that's it. a little bit unusual. That's a little bit unusual. There's not a whole lot of us around. Mm -hmm. uh, and and um, <clears throat> over the years, as I was developing my sermons, developing my, you know, my discipleship literature for a new church, um, my Sunday school classes or whatever I might be doing, any, any presentations I did, I did them all in the workplace. I'm sitting at my desk, I'm interacting with a salesperson or interacting with a, uh, a vendor, customer, uh, partner, whatever it might be. Uh, and so naturally, I just automatically applied when I, I illustrated my for my sermons and applied my sermons, it was to what was happening around my world. Um, and I didn't think that was all that unusual uh, until years later, I began to realize I, I speak differently about theology than the average pastor. And I think it's because my early days of, of learning to communicate uh, was in the workplace. Uh, and so for years, I was a speaker on you know, different um, uh, faith and work platforms and would attend faith and work conferences. And uh, this is what this is what and it says what prompted me to write the book. I was at a, a conference at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary in here in Atlanta, and it was on faith and work. And I looked around the room and I realized, you know, I have been in the same kinds of conferences with this, more or less the same group of people for 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, and all patting ourselves on the back, how clever we are to understand this unique aspect of theology. Uh, and as I was looking around, I heard the Lord say to me in a not audible, but an inaudible voice until every Sunday from every pulpit, every sermon is illustrated from and applied to the workplace. They're not going to believe it. And what I realized is, is our movement had to get outside of talking to itself and had to equip the people who are discipling the next generation of believers. Uh, and so uh, that kind of put me on a trail. I decided, well, I, I want to make sure the way I think is correct. So I went back and earned my doctorate. The title of my dissertation is Equipping Christian. I'm sorry, is um, that's the name of the book. Uh, the title of the, of the dissertation is Discipling C-Level Christian Executives. And it was a qualitative research on some of the people that I had discipled over the years mm -hmm. to try to figure out what was it about uh, the way I discipled that had really big impact in terms of spiritual growth in people's lives. Anyway, I wrote that uh, when you do a dissertation, you have to, or they ask you to do a literature review on the other dissertations and the other books uh, and writings in your field. 
So my field is books by pastors about discipling people for that work outside the church. Surprisingly enough, I spent a weekend with the librarian at Covenant Seminary trying to find that literature. And it, it dawned on me that there just simply isn't any. You know, there's lots of books on discipleship. There's lots of really good books on faith and work. There's no books that bring that together. Mm -hmm. So I said, Lord, that's obviously what you were talking to me about at Reformed Seminary. So we, my, my co-writer Heidi and I set about uh, kind of taking the way I discipled people and then turned that around into a book that's a how-to or a model to give to somebody. So uh, you know, no better disciplers than parents. So they were a target audience, no better disciplers than a business owner, men's discipleship leader, campus ministers, convene chairs. Uh, we, we kind of said anyone who disciples someone whose primary work is outside the church, uh, it was a target for that. Okay. The reason we did that is, I, and there's a, a premise of the book, is that the reason we're having trouble in our society today and why only 40% of the people that you mentioned care to be discipled mm -hmm. is we've been taught as a discipler to disciple people for what they do at church. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and so that's one of the key themes of the book. And, I, and, and what, what I'm trying to turn around is we need to disciple people as image bearers. Mm -hmm. uh, people created, put in the garden to work it. Uh, and that changes everything uh, in yeah. terms of once people realize that God's call applies to all their waking hours, not just nights and weekends, mm -hmm. then they come banging on the door of the church to be discipled mm -hmm. because they realize God cares about what they're doing outside of the church. And I love that. I'm going to go deeper into that, Tom, because yeah. that's that's powerful what you just said, um, because, you know, people use this word discipleship. And, you know, it's not even in the Bible discipleship, but of course it points to discipleship and in, in, in so many in so many ways. Uh, talk to us deep around vocational discipleship. What is it? Yeah. What does it mean? What okay. does it look like? And what are some mm -hmm. practical implications? You know, implements applications that we can put into the workplace, into the marketplace. Right. I'm preparing a talk for uh, <clears throat> uh, at my church. The um, uh, I don't know what they call them, but the twenty somethings. Uh, and they're doing a summer of zeal talking around to my group, talking to my group. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm sure I figured you'd be there. So even my target audience is I was thinking of soon. Um, but they're around, um, you know, so they're just, they're just starting in the workplace and their theme this summer is zeal for zeal for church, zeal for work. Uh, and so I got thinking about that, you know, that's just not something we normally talk about, not something they've been trained to think about that they really ought to put their heart and soul into it. So for me, <clears throat> vocational discipleship is all about that. It's for training them, not for what I'm called to do, mm -hmm. but training them for their vocation. Mm -hmm. And so it goes back to this idea of the image bearer. God put uh, Adam and Eve in the garden on the sixth day, five days, he created something and he pronounced it good. Good, 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 five times good. On the sixth day, he puts the image bearer in there and catch this, this is significant. The God of the universe identifies the fact that somehow what he had done the first five days had been improved upon on the sixth day. Is that a powerful thought? Mm 
Oh, it's powerful. When, the, when, when he put the image bearers in the garden, he himself pronounces this is now a better place, a better place. And he gave him three instructions. He said, this place is empty. I want you to create abundance. Mm -hmm. You know, we often use the word fill, but that kind of sounds like having sex and children. It's part of it, but it's not limited to that. Mm -hmm. It's create abundance. Yeah. Take the seed that's in the ground, multiply it hundredfold, thresh it, bake it, blend it, wrap it, put it on the shelves at Kroger so that there's an abundance of bread in your community. That's number one. Number two is uh, this place is has infinite potential. Think about that. Infinite potential placed in it by an infinite God. Mm. I want you to cultivate that. Wow. I want you to, you know, I, I've put it there. But specifically, God says, my job is to hold it all together. Your job is to extract that potential, to cultivate that potential. And into eternity on this, the new heaven and the new earth here physically in this world, pick a number, the biggest number you can think of, Terrence. Oh, man, I can't even think that, that big. <laughs> Multi-trillions. A billion trillion years from now. Yeah. The potential that God has placed in this earth will not have been all fully realized. That's it. Yeah. Right? So that's a big job. Uh, okay. And then number three, this always raises eyebrows. Uh, this place is incomplete and dangerous. I need you to subdue it. I need you to wrestle the power of wind, the power of water, uh, the power of sun, ice, fire, yeah. electricity, and all to create a flourishing environment. Now, of course, the fall intervened. That's a problem. Redemption needed to be uh, brought. But the purpose of redemption, we weren't created to be redeemed, right? We were created to be image bearers who, and this is, <clears throat> Tim Keller makes this point in, in what his book on faith and work. Christianity is the only religion in which work is part of paradise, mm. right? We worked in the original paradise. We will work in the new heaven and the new earth. And we'll work everywhere in between. Mm. Uh, and so when we talk about vocational discipleship, it's A, we, I, I go through three major sections, five sections in the book, but three questions. Mm. Question number one is, who are you? So I'm discipling you. I got to ask you, who are you? And the answer to that, in simple terms, is you're an image bearer created by God to do some sort of kingdom purposed work. Um, uh, and so when people grasp that sense that, well, you know, I'm a trash collector. Uh, is that, does God care about that? I'm an engineer. I'm a, a stay-at-home dad or mom. Um, you know, is, is that really something, is that a calling from God? Second question is, what is your kingdom purpose? And that's where we ask this question, what would happen if nobody did what you do? And again, you start thinking about, like, especially in COVID and the pandemic, we began to realize all those irrelevant people that we don't pay any attention to who pump your gas or deliver stuff to your front yard or pick up your trash yeah. etc etc all of a sudden we began to realize those people are really important uh i i gave a, i was given a workshop one time and i asked that question there was a company the ceo who whose company collected trash they were a trash mm -hmm. collection company and he just got to laughing and he said you know if if we didn't collect, and if nobody collected the trash, we'd all be dead. Yeah. Bub bubonic yeah. plague. Yeah. Uh, and so then all of a sudden, 
when people begin to realize that God cares, you know, that, you know, what, what, what the Billy Graham organization does is really important. But if everybody's dead, there's nobody to preach to, right? So the trash collector and the Billy Graham organization in God's eyes are yeah. two parts of a beautiful mosaic, all doing the work. Uh, yeah. And that's what the church, you know, in, in uh, Revelation 20, uh, the angel takes John by the hand and says, come here, let me show you the bride, which, of course, is, is code for the church. And he points them to the new Jerusalem. That's the church. The vibrant, working, functioning, flourishing city uh, is God's vision for what the church is supposed to be. Tom, that's so good. You know, you, you, I was just listening to you and it reminds me of one thing. I'd take you back years. My father used to share with me, he says, you know, he, he really believed that Terrence, everyone has intrinsic value. Yeah, I was taught this, that by my dad as well. You know, he says, hey, there's the president up here and and there's the janitor. He says the janitor is just as important as the president. He said, if you don't believe that, hey, just don't change the toilet paper in that in that restroom a few days. And see and what the president says. See, see what the president says, right? <laughs> so He'll notice. Yeah, yeah. He'll notice. He'll notice. I told a story on another podcast not too long ago. I, I don't think it's in the book, but it's a, it's a good story. John Kennedy, of course, famously challenged the country to get to the moon back when I was a very young man. Uh, and so that for 10 years, that was the vision for the for the um and he was recorded at Cape Canaveral, which is what it was called before Cape Kennedy, of course, uh, going around talking to people and just asked, what do you do here? What do you do here, sir? What do you do here? And he came to a, a janitor, someone who cleaned the toilets, fixed the broken things and said, and sir, what do you do here? Uh, and, and this janitor said, I help put a man on the moon. That's it. Right? You know, so whoever was running in that organization made sure everybody understood. Yes. Uh, another question I often ask is if, do, do you fly a plane by any chance? I don't fly, a I fly on a plane, yeah, but I don't fly plane. a plane. Well, I, I, talk, <laughs> I talk to airline pilots. I love to ask this question. Which part of the engine would you like to take off without? Yeah, no, uh, they all go, I said, come on, give me a screw and a bolt. Yeah. Let me take something out. I'm not I'm not going anywhere if all the parts I want extra uh, bolts and screws in there. That's man. right. That's right. But that's the way we got to look at it. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Everybody uh, has a call from God. Right. Uh, and they aren't, unfortunately, in our society, you know, we we don't appreciate what we're talking about here. Like I say, in COVID, I think we did. We began to realize how important truck drivers are, how important all the people that that we kind of take for granted are. Um, yeah. and, and just, you know, my dad taught me to, you know, if, if I'm walking through, uh, my church at night and there's somebody cleaning up, I stop and I thank them because the church is always so crystal clear that's and clean. And every time you that's do it. that big smiles, yeah. you know, because no they're there, if someone is it, they're realizing they're important to someone. Yeah. We all want to be affirmed, you know, which yeah. you mentioned something, you know, a lot of times, even as Christians, we, we like to take that hat on a on Monday, take it, I mean, Sunday and take it off on Monday. And we do this stuff and we segment and decompartmentalize our life. We do, we do. And you and I know uh, that's not the way we were designed to operate. We're to live, you know, where we live, work and play all aspects of life. We are who we are. And you're suggesting, I believe also that uh, the workplace is, you know, should not be off limits, right? Mm. To our faith. Absolutely. And I like, and of course, there's a lot of pressure. 
a lot of pressure in our sure. society sure. that's telling us, yeah. you know, keep keep, yeah, keep that faith at, at right. bay, keep it out there. Give me your thoughts on on those yeah. and the obstacles and so forth that exist, and 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 how do we, you know, what what's your thoughts around? Yeah, so so my experience is kind of interesting along that line. Um, you know, I think again one of the reasons for the book is I don't I don't know that our the people we disciple or the members of our churches know how to be a Christian at work, right? They know how to behave, you know, don't have an affair, don't steal from the boss, don't cheat on your taxes, but they don't really know how to be an architect with kingdom purpose or a HVAC mechanic with kingdom purpose or a plumber or whatever with kingdom purpose, because we haven't taught them that. Right, we haven't taught them the concepts we've been talking about. About that, you're an image bearer, and what you work, the work that you do is important. Uh, we've also unintentionally given the impression that what happens outside of church is really not important. Because when you 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 go to church, you sit sit there, you know, you're gonna sit you're gonna sit in the in the, you know, if you're a good active church member, you're gonna sit in the in church 2,500 hours in your lifetime. You're going to be 90,000 hours mm. sitting behind your desk at work or driving your truck or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, but so few men, so little mention is made of the workplace in the typical sermon that people just think, you know, I don't know, is God care about what's I'm, I'm just going out there. Uh, Dick Doster, my friend who, who uh, is editor of By Faith magazine years ago, uh, set out to ask 100 people, why do you work? And he said, 100 out of 100 said, it, it, amongst other things, to bring money back to church. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a good thing. Church needs money. But that's not the to total purpose. Yeah, no. It's to bring glory to God. Yeah. Uh, and so then what's the net result is, A, our people really aren't very much different mm -hmm. than their co-workers, right? Uh, and then all of a sudden, we teach them these little glitzy, technique -y ways to share the gospel. Mm -hmm which from my perspective are not very authentic, right? They're, yeah, they're, they sound contrived, mm -hmm. right? And so here you are, a guy that I don't have huge respect for because of, I, you know, I don't see you as being anything special in the workplace. You're now kind of putting this shtick on me about what am I going to do when I go to heaven? Uh, and it sounds awkward. It sounds contrived. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the book, what we say the best, the best method of decide, I'm sorry, of evangelism is to make Jesus attractive. Mm, that's good. What Jonathan. does that mean? That means make your family so remarkable, remarkable that people knock on your door and say, "Tell me how you do this." Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, be such an excellent example of of uh of a hard-working disciplined salesperson mm -hmm. that people say tell me what 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 makes you tick uh i had a, a story so cmd the company that i uh, helped to start and we actually grew to 1800 employees in 18 countries when we sold it uh and we were a construction information company and we had the opportunity to do we were about 150 million dollar 120 150 million dollar company we, we had the ability or the opportunity to go and to benchmark, you've probably heard that term in the marketplace, where you, you find a non-competitive similar company 
and you just find how, how many of these does it take to do these in your organization and how much are you paying for this, et cetera. Uh, and so we did that with Bertelsmann uh, in, uh, in Germany. Uh, and the CEO, whose name you would know, um, uh, famous European um, uh, social, highly high social family, uh, at the end of the week came up and said to me, because uh, we really hadn't, we hadn't, we didn't share the gospel per se with him. Mm -hmm. But he came out to me at the end of the week and he said, what is it with you people? Mm -hmm. I, said, I said, what, what do you mean? What is it with us? He said, it's like, yeah. he, he said, he said, it's, it's like you love each other. So <laughs> I said, well, I'd be glad to tell you what, what makes us tick and got Sorry, to share the gospel. I uh, got to share the gospel with him. Um, Errol, my, my senior partner, was much closer in relationship with him. He's now a believer today, running a, a, a bunch of business in Southeast Asia. Um, but, I, but why is that the best way to evangelize is they're coming to me. They're coming to you and they're already attracted, right? Uh, if, if somebody comes up to you and says, man, I love your bike. Where'd you get your bike? Well, I, I tell them I got it down, you know, Joe's bike shed. Uh, and then they run down to Joe's bike shed, and they buy one. Why? Because they were attracted uh, to it. Uh, and I think if, if more Christians would stop the gimmicks and just be attractive for Jesus, uh, that's what Peter says, right? Uh, be prepared to give an answer for those who ask for the hope that's in you. Yeah, and what hope we have, right? And that's why when I talk about vocational discipleship, that's what it means to teach our people to be disciples in their work. I love it. Yeah. Do it, do it well as to the Lord. Yeah. You know, Tom, when I think of some of those principles, you know, the marketplace leadership, and I love for you to speak on this topic a little bit more as well. Things like prayers of lifeblood of, of these type of leaders, uh, mm. character, integrity is a lifeblood. I mean, if you think about some of these characteristics, whether you're Christian or not, I mean, as a business leader, you want them to be present in your marketplace, integrity, honesty, et cetera, right? What makes, as you think about it, that attractiveness, right? What are some of the, what would you say are some principles or some, well, maybe even a story that you can tell that kind of demonstrates yeah, uh, that we're not necessarily better, although we strive to be, but we should be different, shouldn't we? They should see something different in us. Right. Uh, I can't remember. <clears throat> as one of the executives at Chick Fil A, and you may you may know the book, but it, but he came and spoke at a, a, an event I was at, uh, and I think it's something about remarkable. Is that the, the name yeah, of the remarkable? Book? Yes. I, am I right? Am I remembering That's that? You, yeah, remarkable. Who wrote with that? an exclamation point? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so I think Chick Fil A is an example. Right. As much as people like to revile them for their Christian position, they always come up as the most admired country. I'm sorry, the most admired company in America or among the top. Yeah. Why is that? Because the chicken sandwich is excellent every time you get through uh, you get through the uh, drive in in remarkable time. Mm -hmm. The order is always right. When you walk in there, they say, um, it's my pleasure, just like the Ritz, right? That came from Truett Cathy, mm -hmm. grilling that into people. Uh, uh, their philosophy is if we treat Judy well, 
she'll treat the customer well. Um, uh, and I, you know, I think that's, uh, that's remarkable. Yeah. And so whether you like their, their position on some political statement, you're attracted, you ra you'd rather go to Chick-fil-A than sloppy Joe's, you know, because the experience is just better and it, 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 um, shines well on Jesus. I love it. Well, Tom, I think we can go on again. I'm talking with Thomas Lux. I call him Tom. Yes, sir. Uh, he that's has written book. a tremendous book. I, I want you to go out. And the title of that book, again, Tom, give that to us. Here it is. Equipping Christians for Kingdom Purpose in Their Work, A Guide for All Who Disciple. And tell us where we can get it. I mean, I know it's on all the Amazon and all that. Yeah, is there a URL much, or anything specifically? Yeah, pretty much pretty much anywhere you buy your books. It's published by Hendrickson, which is a division of Tyndale. Okay. So any 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 place that buys books that Tyndale rep calls on, they can order it. It's available. Uh, it's, at, it's at my church bookstore. I know up at uh, in Johns Creek here. Mm -hmm. Amazon for sure. Christianbooks.com, barnesandnoble.com, uh, hendricksonrose.com, which is the, okay. the publisher's house. Um, uh, and also if people want to follow what we're doing, there's additional kind of, um, some of the podcasts get posted on stuff. If you go to Facebook slash vocational discipleship, okay. uh, that'll pull up the page on the book. Uh, and it'll give you some other resources. We're hoping right. to do, uh, I, actually, I was just talking to someone the other day about uh, putting together a men's disciple or not a men's a discipleship curriculum mm -hmm. based mm -hmm. on the book. So that, that may be something we'll do. In the, that would be in wonderful, the man. I need it. And, and I always advise, don't buy one book. I mean, one book is for you, right? That's no problem. And give, but buy give, 10 give five books, away. Right. right? Buy 10 books, so you can give nine. I say give nine away. To, to, I, I up the game here, man. This is yes, sir, go remember for it, the Bountiful, Unlimited, and, and a, all that a stuff. Lot of the, a lot of the uh, Christian, uh, so Convene is a uh, national organization, about mm -hmm. 600 companies, 600 CEOs and members, somewhere along that line. Uh, and a lot of them have actually bought a book for themselves. Uh, and then bought books for their leader team and have studied it together because it really is applicable. It's just, it helps them talk to the people that report to them yeah. uh, and get a sense. You know, Lencioni says one of the signs, uh, one of the things you need to do for um, employee engagement is help your people know who they're important to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's where we talk about their kingdom that's purpose. Good. When they realize that it's important to you that they clean up the bathrooms they feel appreciated in That's right. This last piece, I mean, I'm going to yeah. now connect it to Victoria's family because these same principles apply at home, doesn't it? Tom? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Give us, give yeah, us one I of mean, those principles and, and, and why they're so important. Yeah. Well, you know, I think to some degree that there's no more important discipleship relationship than dad to child, mom to child. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, here's as this back end story, but I'll come back to it. Uh, I, I I worked with some of the campus ministry organizations, mm -hmm. um, particularly uh, campus outreach out of uh, the PCA. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the problems they had was they they were doing discipleship of college students, but they were the brass ring to them was in the future the college student gets to be a campus outreach minister. Right. That was then they'll admit it. That was kind of that was the pinnacle. Mm -hmm. uh, now they're discipling them to be the best architect, engineer, yeah. Yeah. doctor, 
whatever it might be. Um, and so, so we, again, part of the way we raised my, my kids came to work with me at 10 years old, you know, I mean, just, it was kind of like come spend a day with dad once a week yeah. when they were out of school and I'd get them, I'd get them doing this and that. And the other thing we'd go to lunch, you know, a business lunch. And, mm -hmm. um, but the idea was I, I, we tried to train them not, not to be good soccer, although playing soccer is important. Yeah. Uh, I love soccer. Um, but we tried to, at, from a very early age, to let them understand that their future is to serve someone in the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think right now my, my kids are all in a role where they're, they're delivering really valuable service. That's, good. That's what par you know, parents have to have the mindset that they're discipling image bearers as well, yeah. who are called to, so teach them to work. Uh, I, <laughs> I had uh, my, my uh, son's got two kids that are, uh, I guess they're 12 and eight and they were out weeding mm -hmm. and they, he sent me a picture of it. He said, we used to have weeding Wednesday in our house <laughs> and my kids hated it, hated it. Uh, but then my, my youngest son just bought a house down the street from us a couple of months ago and he was out weeding. He said, Hey dad, thanks for teaching me to weed. Yeah. <laughs> I love so it. I don't know. That's, I, I think it. that's my advice to, to the parents among us is, is understand these are, these creatures are image bearers yeah. called by God to do some purposeful yeah. work, help them find it, help them excel at it. I love that. You know, I can almost stop there, Tom. We, cause we can go another three hours between us. Man. Uh, I can, I can talk. I'm not, I'm not bashful. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> hey, here's what I like to do okay. uh, in, in 60 seconds or less. I like for you sure. to look into that camera. And I like for you to think about those listeners that will be connecting and those viewers, yeah. uh, YouTube, et cetera, and just give them a word of encouragement. Yeah. Encourage yeah. them today, encourage mm -hmm. them around this topic. Right. Uh, and in any way you want to do it, I'm going to just give you the minute to do wherever, take it wherever you want to go, but just Perfect. encourage our folks today. Yeah. So here, here's a, maybe even a challenge and an encouragement. Uh, if you are a discipler, if you, that could be a parent, it could be a boss who's mentoring people in the workplace, someone leading a discipleship a group, senior pastor, pastor of 30-somethings, campus minister, convene chair, head of a nonprofit, whatever. If you, if you have a role where you're training people who work outside the church and you want to see uh, spectacular spiritual growth by the book, and put these principles into place. I have seen uh, men that I've discipled. One was a lawyer. Uh, when he came into my discipleship group, he said, you know, I honestly think when I go into church, I'm going to work on Monday morning, that God is looking down at me, holding his nose and saying, what are you doing there? Hmm. A lot of our, a lot of those people that we're, we're, we're working with, that's, that's, that's what, how they feel about work. After he was discipled and understood, he was a lawyer and he did a lot of divorce work, uh, he, but he always defended the hurt party. After he started thinking image bearer wise, he came to me one morning with tears in his eyes. And he said, God gave me a word this weekend. That word is uh, um, protector. My kingdom purpose is to protect people. Uh, and, he, and then he said, and I quote him in the book, he said, uh, at that point, spirituality went from, you know, what I did at church, it invaded all of my life. 
if that's the desire you have for the people you desire, uh, it's proven, buy the book, put it into practice, um, and you'll get that same experience with the people you disciple. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for, yeah, for that words of wisdom. Ladies and Great gentlemen. Great to be here. Thanks, Terrence. Yes, sir. Listen in on our podcast and do your children believe as well as uh, go to our website, victoriousfamily.org. Uh, we'll have great resources like this one. Uh, share this with your friends. Uh, click like and share. Uh, we appreciate it. Tom, thank you so much for your time, brother. And Bless uh, you, brother. Uh, thank you for sharing just amazing wisdom. It's good to, good to be here. Same here.